Hi, and welcome to Bootstrap, The Lighter Side, where entrepreneurs who have grown successful startups from the ground up share their inspiring stories. In each episode, you'll hear from accomplished founders about starting a business, managing a runway, and raising capital on their terms. I am Melissa Widner, the CEO of Lighter Capital, a leader in founder-friendly, non-dilutive funding. Visit lightercapital.com to learn more. On today's show, I'm so excited to be talking with Lighter Capital client Chris Fellows, the founder and CEO of Bold Street. Chris, you started Bold Street uh, about three years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about what the company does? Sure. Yeah, really great to, to be here. So thanks for having me. So we have kind of the only agent-centric platform to help real estate agents grow their sales with residential investors, so single-family home investors. Okay, great. And how did you get into that space? Uh, good question. Well, my it actually came, it's like the uh, maybe almost 10 years ago, I had another business. I was in the consulting space, and our kind of star client was this big uh, real estate investment trust. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but we just started doing work for them. We ended up you know, doing a, a really significant overhaul of their kind of acquisition system. And that really became the foray into that domain. And then really, we ended up just specializing in the real estate space and getting a lot of really good domain knowledge, that experience, and then got to see in depth in the industry that there was just a lot of space for product and data companies and analytics. And so I ended up selling that consulting company really to focus on building a product company. Yeah. And that is not an uncommon story from um, lighter capital clients and other entrepreneurs. In fact, I, I started a company that came out of something similar where it was consulting for big software companies. We noticed a need for a product and created a product out of it. But let's go back to the consulting company that you ran and which was more of a services company. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. And I'd love to learn what you've learned about transitioning, even though this wasn't transitioning a services company to a product company, you ran a services company, successfully sold it, and then decided to start a product company. So what have been some of the learnings there and how has that differed? I knew it would be different, but I was actually surprised that there's really kind of core differences between running a product company and running a services company. And I definitely was bettered by having done that first. Um, you learn a lot of just really good kind of team building things from running services. You learn really good accounting and finances, you know, because you're hiring certain people, they're getting paid, what's the margin? So there's a lot of really good things. I think you learn business fundamentals from a services company. However, what I learned from the product company is really how you do your accounting is very actually really quite different because you're having to spend a lot to invest in what you're building first, whereas in the services businesses, you, you know, you're only spending based on what you're making and you're just watching for that margin and optimizing costs on margin. That whole part about you know lean product development, understanding building a product and understanding your market, understanding what will your market pay for, and that whole process of pivoting to find the right product and trying to keep your costs lean because every cost is actually an investment. And then trying to see upfront, you know, what's what's and so that that whole concept of minimum viable product becomes real. You know, I I did a lot of consulting 
you know, before starting this business and everybody uses the word MVP, MVP it, was just, right. it was just like, yeah, I just want yeah. my first product out there. Let's, <laughs> but, but the real essence of it comes from a product company is like, what's the basic thing that somebody will actually pay me real money for? And that process you know, becomes really important. And do you think when creating your MVP, you got it exactly right? Or you erred on the side of not getting it out early enough or getting it out too early? Yeah, no, really good question. We we did actually do it right in terms of, I think we got the product out. We got a product that people really wanted and it was just enough. What we didn't foresee was that two minutes after we released it, the economy was going to just completely yeah. upend and shift. <laughs> that we didn't see. Uh, or prepare or understand or prepare for, I think, well enough. But yeah. Talk about you You had a successful exit before and then decided to jump back in and become an entrepreneur again, which we know is a very difficult, it's not an easy road or a smooth road. But this time you decided to do this with a co-founder. So talk about that journey because you you actually had the idea, right? Wanted to start a company, but then decided to go and find somebody to do this with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I, you know, I tried starting different businesses over the course of my whole career, really. And uh, one of the things I remember one product idea I had, a fantastic idea. Once maybe one day I'll come back because <laughs> nobody's done it yet. But, uh, but I was like, oh, this is a great idea. I'm just going to do it. And so I started coding and I started doing all this stuff. And, and I did interviews and I was very enthusiastic about doing it. I had a lot of great reception. I was doing a lot of stuff. And I had a lot of momentum. And I think about eight weeks into it, I don't know, I probably got a cold. I got sick or something or something happened. I had small kids and I was dealing with that. And you just lose that momentum because it's just you. And it was too much momentum lost. And then I got caught up with the rest of life. And then after, when I reflected back on that process, I saw it's really helpful to have somebody else there because they keep you going. And when you go through natural up and down cycles of productivity, you've got somebody else who's there as well. And so, you know, I think from that point on, I saw it's always really, it's strong to have a co-founder that you're in there with. You can bounce ideas off of. It's really easy to think you have a great idea and go off in one direction. And if nobody's there constantly questioning, is that really, is it really? And, you know, do, are we really seeing what's happening? You could, you know, end up three, six months down the line and have built something useless. So I think that process of that you know, conversation with the co-founders was really, you know, really powerful. So that was something I was always really looking for kind of going forward. And what process did you go through, if any, for finding a co-founder? You know, um, Clara and I had met, we had actually met during the ZenCloud time because basically my company and the company she was working for basically did this kind of joint marketing effort which coincidentally was the birth of that one star client that led to everything. Anyway, so I made really good friends with that, you know, some of the people in that company we had gotten introduced and we'd always kept in touch and um, kind of families or friends. When I was starting Bold Street, I knew that process for, I, I wanted to create something that was, that had big, that was big. You know, when we started a consulting company, I'm like, I just want to start a business. <laughs> you know, now it's like, I want to start something that really does something. And so I want, I knew that that process on the front end of the product discovery was going to be really important. And so I wanted somebody that had that mind for it and had the sales mind for it and really that business discovery process. And so Clara and I had known each other for years. And so I was like, hey, what about this thing? You want to come do this? 
And she had actually been through an exit, you know, the year before with her company. And so the timing was kind of right that we started kind of playing into it. And, and we spent a solid year kind of exploring, interviewing. I mean, we interviewed everybody across the board. We talked to county property assessors and, you know, big companies, small companies, and that process of having somebody that had the kind of the grit to stick with the ups and the downs and just really enjoy the process. I think that was something that was really attractive for me in choosing you know, Clara as a co-founder. And when you decided to found this company together, how did you divide the roles? Or have you sort of just said, let's, we're both going to jump in, get this thing going and, and, you know, gravitate to what comes natural to each of us? Or did you, you know, sit down and have a process for deciding where you're going to go or what you're going to focus on? Yeah. I mean, we, we, I think we had always known, you know, that Clara would, would definitely focus on the sales side of things. That was her background and certainly her strength. And I think there was, uh, you know, it was kind of a, you know, a knowledge that that was kind of where there was going to be a division. And then we shortly after we had brought Anthony on, who's our CTO, and you know that was clear. Okay, it was good to kind of divide that pieces. So it was kind of the each area that kind of started demanding attention started pulling for that. And it's been and sales is so I think critical, and it's so hard to find people that are good at it. That you know, having Clara there for me, it was always obvious. It was like, oh, she's going to run that piece, and that's really that's good. And then I can step in and work with her on sales as well, but then pay attention to other parts of the business. Okay, let's talk about your funding journey. So your first business was bootstrapped, which is not uncommon for a services business. Talk about your funding journey for Bold Street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I was used to the the bootstrapping. And so, you know, I think that appealed to me because I was focused on Let's figure out something, make money from it, use that money to like reinvest and all that. And uh, so we start because you know we had had that acquisition. You know, a lot of Bold Street came out of that process, and so I think we went from there. And there was so much exploration around what we were doing with the product stuff, and then of course the economy went through a whole thing. And VC money you know, when we started the business, it was hot. And it was yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, as soon as we're ready, we'll just put our hands out, and money will just fall right. in. <laughs> of course, and the interest rate. 2021, right. Right. And then, you know, things change and suddenly it just, you know, the VC option was just didn't seem, you know, doable. And it was just a lot. And also, I was still of the opinion, I see a lot of celebration, at least at the time, I saw a lot of celebration. Oh, I got, you know, X millions of dollars. And that's such a great thing. Whereas in my world, I'm like, you know, get X million from sales. I'm like, that's a real business. But I do see, I see certainly the opportunity and the, and when you have investors that have knowledge and somebody that believes in your business, I think there's a, there's a certainly a time and a place for that. And then we got introduced to you all later. And, and I love that the um, kind of SAP space debt um, funding, um, it makes a lot of, I think it makes a ton of sense the way that that was set up. And so I really enjoyed that process and still getting so much of the benefit of the community, you know, that Lighter has, that's been phenomenal in terms of the people that I've met, it's been a total change for our business. Some of the introductions, you know, that you've made and other people have made. So, oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, oh, completely. I think having larger communities, whether it was of other founders and companies that are coming together, I think that's been really crucial for us. Yeah, I remember getting that advice very early 
not actually not early enough in my CEO career, uh, founder slash CEO career, which is, you know, get your community of other CEOs around you and really spend time on that. I, I didn't early on, but it's so important. And as you know, we have the CEO groups at Lighter Capital and there's this opportunity to connect with people who are, you know, oftentimes going through the same thing you are, maybe have faced the same problem, can help with it, but it's it's so important took me a while to figure out that that wasn't necessarily taking time away from the business, but that was like an important part of actually running the business. Right. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I think we had chatted once, like, you know, there's no real school for being a CEO or even real leadership. Certainly there's MBAs and things like that, but there's nothing like the fire of doing it and having the people that have done it or further along than you are is in, invaluable. Yeah, I think um, in terms of you coming to Lighter Capital, I, if I recall correctly, I think it was through one of our former customers who had a really good exit, did several rounds of financing with Lighter Capital, had a really good exit, and now is now an angel investor and is an angel in, in Wall Street. Is that is that correct? Is that uh, that's right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So yep, exactly. it's all. I mean, that's that's the perfect sort of circle of yes. um, entrepreneurial life here, and uh, for non dilutive funding is you know give people non-dilutive funding. So when they sell their company, they have, they, you know, they, they end up with something and then they can become investors. Yeah. So let's talk about the, you, you touched a little bit on your product and how the economy has changed and, and how have you, you know, how have you gotten through the last couple of years? Cause things have changed dramatically with interest rates going up, VCs pulling back. I mean, really started to change at the end of 2021, but by mid 22, the party was over. And you, you're, you've started your company in early 21. So, like you said, we had a lot of customers that were in similar situations where they just they had VCs contacting them all the time. They knew that they could get money at any time if, when they just if they just raised their hand because they were executing. But the appetite changed dramatically. How have you navigated that? What are some of the things that you had to do? Shocking. And you see the, you know, people go through you know, like the stages of grief or whatever people go through that process. And in the entire, you see an entire industry go through that, you know, so of course there's like denial. Everybody's like, ah, oh, yeah. it's just a, it's just a <laughs> blip, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's interesting to watch that happen. And then of course, we actually started the yeah, end of 21 and we really launched our product beginning of 22 and then everything shifted in by June of 22. And so, you know, going through that process and having to be constantly real about what the real situation was and really say, wait a second, is this just a, is this a one and one off thing or is this some, something's really shifting? And then, and then having to be like, you know, do we have the right customer? Do we have the right product? Because at the time in our industry, everybody was like, oh, well, we'll just wait. It'll come next quarter, then next quarter. And of course, now it's been a year, you know, been six quarters later. And I think we got another four to six to go. And so we kind of were like, we can't build a business waiting two years for something that may or may not happen. We need to have a business right now. That was really what drove us to, you know, pivot who our customer was and what product we were selling and really try to find something that resonated with, you know, the market today. Because if we can build a business today, then, you know, everything changes. Eventually things will be, you know, flowing, then it'll be even better. So. A lot of the best companies were born in um, poor economies. So talk about the pivot 
the the product pivot and what you're focused on now and how you were selling that product changed? Yeah, I mean, we certainly saw, you know, our initial customer base was kind of large institutional funds and we certainly still work with them. And and I definitely, we're going to keep that product line for when it happens, but we really, you know, we ended up doing a lot of traveling and in the process of traveling, I really saw how hyper local real estate is. And there's a lot of criticism. It's like, oh, real estate's so clunky. It should be like, you know, buying real estate. It should be like buying something on Amazon. It should be that efficient because technology is so great. But I really saw, I was like, no, real estate is always going to be really hyper-local. And we were able to see it's always going to be powered by these like local professional real estate agents. And so we saw, you know, there was a real need in the market. Nobody was really supplying it. We had people calling out. We saw that, you know, that that particular market needed a way to grow their revenue. And this time, just like we did, we had the foundation of the tech because of what we built for some of the institutional clients. So it really went from kind of a data API to an actual software solution powered by all of that data, but really targeting individual real estate agents and teams and brokerages with a solution that they could actually use in this economy to make money too, because they're also hurting. I have a little experience in that area, not on an operational standpoint, but I was on the board of a company whose customers were real estate agents and they had lots of them, but it's a tough sale. That is a tough sale. So how have you navigated that? Because they don't, a lot of real estate agents don't have a lot of money to spend on, you know, they're, they're spending on their G suite and that's sort of, you know, that's it. Maybe a little bit of marketing, but how, how do you um, sell to that customer? Yeah, good question. So, um, and we had heard that before getting into it. it was like, oh, I don't know if you want to sell. You know, that can be a tough market to sell into. But when we started talking with people and showing them what we we're doing, we were getting phenomenal conversion rates and reception. And what we ended up discovering is we're like, this is actually a very disruptive product. If it's truly disruptive, then people see it not as an incremental shift in something else that exists there, but something that's so transformative to what they're doing as a business. That they're like, oh, wow, I, I need into this. And then they start using terms like, oh, this is a lifeline. This is phenomenal. They start using the, the, these words where they're like, it's, they see it as something completely different. And at the same time, there's such a disruptive time happening, not only just in real estate as a whole, but also for real estate agents. You know, in the US, there's been all these like class action lawsuits and there's a huge shift happening demographically, kind of socioeconomically, you know, population migration. So there's actually this shift, this disruptive time. And I, we really feel like we found a disruptive product. And so that makes that sale so much easier. Okay. What is the shift? What is the demographic shift happening in real estate now? Well, at its, like, kind of at its essence, you know, we used to have this single family home was like the American dream. So everybody's like, oh, I want to own my home. And so the interesting thing about it, it wasn't like, let me own my own home. So I have my own house and my own furniture and all that. It was like, I want my own financial investment. So that became the foundation of a nest egg was the house you were living in. And it wasn't just to have the house. It was the financial part of it. So now buying versus selling, actually the financials of it don't make as much sense to buy your home. And especially because the younger generations don't want to stay in the same place for 30 years. So they're kind of shifting that it's it's actually a better financial investment to buy rental properties, whether short-term, long-term or whatever. 
And so the younger generations are like, hey, I'd rather, I don't mind renting the house I live in, but I still want a smart investment decision. So in a way, we're like kind of powering the new American drink part of the American dream, which is like owning investment properties. basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm seeing that a lot too, where, you know, you want to have, you want to live in San, well, maybe not now San Francisco, but you want to live in, a, you know, San Francisco, but um, you can't afford a house there. So you invest in a house somewhere else. Right. Completely. Yeah. 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 Let's talk a little bit more about just you as an entrepreneur. Um, is this something, do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Were you, you know, one of the kids that had a business when you were in junior high school or, you know, when did you come into this? Yeah, actually it probably came, you know, I was growing up, my, my mom owned a, a recruiting company, um, a staffing okay. firm. Yeah. And so I kind of grew, I did grow up with that around me. So it was that, and that was very helpful. You know, I think from one, just having that, you know, in the background. And then every once in a while, you and my mom would drop these little nuggets of wisdom, you know, and, I, and then he just kind of percolates. And I think that that was certainly really helpful. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I just got a job and did my thing in IT. And then here and there, I would kind of try to like start little things and try to play around with things. And so I think that became kind of the journey of it until finally I was like, okay, let's do this for real and start a consulting company where that came from. So it wasn't something that was always burning in the back of your mind that you would do this, but it was more opportunistic. You had exposure to entrepreneurs through your family, but then you saw a, a need and created a product to, or created a service to fill that need. Yeah. And I think, I think in, in honesty, I tried, I, you know, you, you, you fail a lot of times, you know, I, I tried a number of different things and failed many, many times. And a lot of, sometimes people don't talk about that, but, but yeah, I think, I think, Failure is important and essential part of the process. And I think we've heard that more often from people that speak on entrepreneurship, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and being willing, you know, to get up and do it again and again, and it's, it's never easy. It's never fun. So what do you do to keep yourself, you know, energized? I'll back up. We have one, one of our lighter capital clients that I um, interviewed on a podcast, he made such a great, great point. And I repeat it all the time. Now, he said that um, people always talk about not having time. But actually, people have time, they just don't have energy. And when you think about, you know, I know, at least personally, when I have energy, I can be 10 times as efficient as when I don't have energy. So, so um, that just really resonated with me. So he talked a lot about what he did to keep his energy going. So what do you do to keep your energy going? Yeah. And I love what you said. You're like, yeah, if I, when I have the energy, I'm 10 times as efficient. And I feel exactly the same. In fact, I feel as much that way that if I'm not in that high energy place, then why bother working if you're going to be one tenth as effective, you know? So yeah, so I think over the years, I've that question of like, okay, how do I make sure I'm operating at that peak or, you know, within that range where it's in that 10% more effective kind of range. And I think, and especially in down economies, it actually becomes more important because the pressures are greater, the demands are greater to you know make sure that energy level stays up and to be able to weather you know all the ups and downs. So yeah, so for myself, you know whether it's you know exercise, athletics, and uh, nutrition, and um, I'm a huge believer in um, kind of like meditation. And I think that part is is really important. I know it's gotten more popular recently. I've, I've 
we've been into it for like 20 plus years, but, um, wow. but yeah. That's, and how, that's- tell us how that works. We've sp- I spoke the last podcast I did, the person said she spends an hour at the beginning of every day. It's not all on meditation, but just an hour on something that has nothing to do with work. And that's what energizes her for her work. And that she has, she said she has to do that every day. And I thought that was really interesting, but how, how does that work for you? Yeah, it's the same for me. So I, like, I definitely have to do it in the morning now. So I get, you know, it's definitely that place to clear my mind. I think uh, one of the things I've found that's really important, you know, cause especially in entrepreneurship, you know, time is, time means something. So you can't spend, I can't spend forever sitting down and, you know, chanting, you know, home for an hour. That's just not going to work. I have to be really focused with my time. And so meditation techniques that are like, you know, quality over quantity, where it's really focus and concentration, that becomes really important. Um, so yeah, so that kind of, there's a lot of different techniques out there. There's like breathing techniques and, you know, the yoga has like chakras and there's like all these different types of ways of meditating whatever practice it is, I think it's really important to be have focus and concentration. And that part is what really actually stills the mind. So if you don't mind sharing, tell us, you know, what yours is, is it 10 minutes a day, right when you get up or, you know, what kind of meditation you focus on? Yeah, I vary from kind of 20 to 40 minutes, shower, whatever, get changed, have a little coffee or something to make sure I'm kind of awake and alert. Um, but then after that, before, and really important, before I pick up my phone, if I pick up the phone, mm. it's all over. You can't yeah. steal your mind after you check your email. <laughs> right, right. So um, before before I hit the technology, then I'll sit down and uh, and then I'll meditate for twenty to forty minutes. The particular kind I do is that you know you've seen it in any if anybody's into yoga or whatever you've seen the little diagrams of chakras. Um, so it's a particular type of kind of like Buddhist chakra meditation. Yeah, and it definitely does the trick. Right. Well, I mean, actually, we should do a poll of all the 1100 rounds of financing lighters done. And I I think it would actually be an interesting study to show like maybe the companies that, you know, grew faster than others, what percentage of those had um, founders or CEOs that were, you know, taking that time out and what were they doing? Because just anecdotally, it sounds like a lot of them. (laughs) I've, I've heard that across the board, a lot of people yeah, do some, some form of really concentrated meditative practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. Okay. Well, Chris, thank you so much for spending time with us today to share your entrepreneurial journey, your successful exit with Zen cloud, and then your journey to date with bold street. We are really grateful for your time and also just love having you in the lighter capital portfolio. Great. No, thank you. And thank you to everybody else you've interviewed. It's been great hearing everybody's stories. And thanks for what you're doing and love being part of the lighter community. Thanks again to Chris. And to learn more about Bold Street, you can visit boldstreet.ai. To learn more about Lighter Capital and how we can be a part of your non-dilutive funding startup journey, you can visit lightercapital.com. Ready to fuel your future on your terms? Subscribe to Bootstrap The Lighter Side. You'll get ideas for growing your startup from other successful founders who grew their businesses without giving up equity or control. This podcast can be found on Apple and Google Podcasts or directly at lightercapital.com podcast. Until next time, keep your runways long and keep those lights on.